Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We thank God for his precious, holy, written word. We're continuing our study on attitude. This is number seven. Never thought we'd be on number seven, but we're here. Attitude. Our main text is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 from the Living Translation of the Bible. Now your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. If there's one thing that we've learned from our lesson and our teachings is that our thoughts and our attitudes need to constantly be changing. Why? Because when we first come to Christ, we don't have God's thoughts. We don't have God's ways. We don't really know God's thoughts and know God's ways. Unless we get into the Bible, the Word of God, we're not going to know His ways and thoughts. They're higher than ours, way higher than ours, both His ways and thoughts. His attitudes are far different than ours and from ours. And so it's important that we study the Word of God and find out what it says. You see, if we're going to be transformed and changed from glory to glory in our thoughts and attitudes, it's not going to be because we have some kind of a magical wand that we just wave over a person's life. I know you parents out there, you felt as though that if you can find one, buy one, get it fast before Walmart sells out. And when your child's about 13, 14 years old and you wonder who moved in with you, someone else, and you took that wand out, waved it over top of their head, and all of a sudden they became the perfect child you wanted them to be, you'd be so excited about that, wouldn't you? Well, that doesn't happen. How many of you know that? And for some of you uh, that may be around my age, there's no genie in the bottle. Sorry to disappoint you. No Aladdin's lamp. Not going to happen that someone pops out and just grants you all the wishes and desires that you might want to have. It's not going to happen that way. But there are two powerful forces that will help us change the way we think and affect our attitudes in a positive and powerful way. And what are those two forces? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 18 from the Amplified Bible, this is the AMPC, which is the classic version of, version of the Bible. Notice what it says, and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold where? In the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured in his very own image, in ever-increasing splendor, and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So number one, the first powerful force is the word of God. It's the word of God. And really my attitude toward the word of God will determine 
whether or not God is found in my attitudes and in the way I think. So my thinking and my attitudes must be influenced by the word of God if my attitudes and thoughts are going to change for the better. And it's important that we recognize that and have a sincere desire to receive the word of God and be changed by the word of God. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Notice what divides between spirit and soul. Remember, the soul's comprised of what? The mind, will, emotions, and intellect, the way we think, and our attitudes. But separate from that, we can divide that from the spirit of man, which really is to in, be influenced by the word of God. So it's only the word of God that can help us to better understand that our thinking is not right in certain areas. And our attitudes are not correct in certain areas. For example, let's just say um, as an individual. As an individual, I have a responsibility to develop a close intimacy with God, right? The way I live my life, the way I think, the way I believe, the way I act is going to be either according to my feelings and emotions and the dictates of my flesh or they're going to be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. One or the other. So as an individual, let me ask myself a few questions since I'm going to judge myself and nobody else here today. Am I living by the golden rule? I should be. Do unto others as I would have others to do unto me. That should influence my thinking before I act out and do something that I wouldn't want someone else to do to me. Do you see that point? As an individual, I need to ask myself a question. And am I obeying God's laws, statutes, judgments, and commandments as he would have me to do? Because you see, that's between the two of us. That's between God and myself. And it's important that we understand the need that we live lives like Christ. Look, we talked about last week, he was selfless. He was humble. He was a servant. He was obedient. And he lived a sacrificial life. So I could look at myself and evaluate my life, examine my heart, my mind, my life, my behavior, conduct, character, and attitudes. And I could ask myself the question, am I following that in my life as an individual? Because if not, then my thinking needs to be changed. And my attitudes need to be changed. Because we're told in scripture, let this mind, these attitudes be in you that were in Christ Jesus. If he could live a life that was selfless, if he could live a life that was humble and obedient, sacrificial and so on well then we need to do the same thing as an individual and if I don't realize that or recognize that then I'm really not following what he wants me to follow in my life my attitude needs to change to be changed but then what about this as a spouse as a spouse am I if I am a husband leaving cleaving and becoming one don't be like the individual that said, I told my wife I loved her 25 years ago. Why did I have to say it after that? I can think of a few good reasons, but we won't go there. But notice this. You came to Christ and you got married. And when you got married, it's your responsibility to find out God's thoughts and God's attitudes about marriage. It's your responsibility as a husband. Amen. And he said leave. 
He said cleave, and he said become one, which is the ultimate golden aim in marriage. Now you think about what marriage is. Who ordained marriage? God did. It was in his thinking. He thought it up, not man. So listen, as a result of him making the woman for the man, he did so for certain purposes, that the two of them would serve him together. You know what that means? That means if your husband is down a little bit, then wife, you should encourage him in the Lord. Husband, if your wife is down a little bit, you should encourage her in the Lord. Plus, you should love her as Christ loved the church, who gave himself for it, and laid on his life for the church. And she should respond to that in submission to your authority. So if I'm not thinking that way, my thoughts and attitudes ought to be changing for the better. In other words, you're supposed to serve the Lord together with your husband, with your wife. That's number one. And then what about this? Number two, companionship. It's not good that a man should be alone. If you find pleasure in going off somewhere and doing some other things and all that and taking up, you gave up that right when you got married. You gave up that right when you got married. When you accepted Christ, you gave up your right to an independent lifestyle for the purpose of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. When you got married, you further gave up your rights to an independent lifestyle for the purpose of what? Becoming heirs together of the grace of life. You willfully entered into a blood covenant relationship that's to be governed by the word of God and regulated by the love of God. And it is a blood covenant, which means if you do not follow through on your duties and responsibilities, you can die. You can lose your life. But we see in today's age that people is going in different directions, having no regard to fulfill what the scriptures teach about this relationship between a man and his wife. So then our thoughts need to be changing for the better. Our attitudes ought to be changing for the better. As a matter of fact, you and your wife should be the closest of friends. Number three, to rear up a godly seed, to invest in the lives of your young people by your lifestyle, by your example, by your precept, and instill within them godly principles so that they can see Christ and know him at a young age and follow his plan for their lives. So this is what marriage is all about. As a parent, that's what your responsibility is. But then we can even go further. Then there's the intimate relationship between a man and his wife. It's for pleasure. That's a part of God's design and plan. Why? So that we avoid, as the scriptures teach us, fornication and sexual immorality. And finally, painting a picture of Christ's relationship with the church is part of God's thinking and God's plan and his attitude toward the body of Christ. So in husband and wife relationship, you paint a picture so people can see what holds your relationship together. They can see Christ in your relationship. They can see within your lives and your lifestyle, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that brings them to Christ. I'll be honest with you. It's the church really that should really be the the force that changes the way people think about marriage. And we'll stop right there. But anyhow, we can continue on and say many things. But my thoughts, my attitudes need to line up with the Word of God. So if I haven't discovered what the Word of God says about these things, I, I, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm thanking God I'm on my way to glory. But you know what? The problem can be this. When we get there, he's going to ask us a few questions. Like, did you love her like Christ loved the church? Did you teach your children the ways of the Lord by your precept and example? and so on and so forth. And we don't want those works to be burned up by fire, do we? No, we want to be rewarded, praise God. Uh, and, and then it continues on with, with, with regard to, let's say, if you're an employer, an employee, how do you respond? Whether you're the employer 
to your employees? Do you treat them with respect and watch over them like the scriptures teach? And then if you're a worker for somebody, do you help him succeed or her succeed? In other words, these are the teachings from the Bible that we are to embrace so that we can carry them out in our lives here upon the earth. We're not here just to come to church, let's say once in a while, and and say, okay, that's my Christian duty and responsibility. No, 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 no. If you're a young person, make sure you honor your parents and obey them in the Lord, for this is right. What you do is you build a foundation for you to have long life and well days upon the earth. Think about that. That's the most important thing that you can do as a young person and growing up, showing due respect to your parents because Jesus said to do so. And if you'll do that, once again, you're, you're guaranteeing success in your life and so on. But what's the second part of that? That's number one, the word of God. Get to the word of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, don't, don't be conformed to this world. There's a lot of world conformity going on in the world today. You realize in Christianity but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So my mind needs to be renewed or I'm not going to be transformed and my attitudes and thoughts are not going to change. Now secondly, it's the Spirit of God. Remember he said, as we look into the mirror of the Word of God, the Spirit of God transforms us. He changes us from glory to glory. How? By the Spirit of God. Now if you put all these verses in context, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 up through verse 18, the latter part of that chapter, he's talking about the glory uh, of the Old Testament and the glory of the New Testament. He's talking about there is a veil over the eyes of the Jewish people today because they can't see the glory of the New Testament because it's veiled from them. And also when Moses came down from the mountain, remember it says he had to veil his face? How many of you remember that? You know when I first really heard this teaching, I thought that he had to cover his face because the glory shone so greatly, it was shining so greatly that they couldn't stand to behold the glory and it affected them. But that's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what they say. They actually say that he came from the presence of the Lord. His face was a globe. The people were afraid, but he called them near to him and he taught them and he told them the things that God had spoken and said. And then he veiled his face from that point on till he went back into the presence of Almighty God and then he took it off. And then once again, he got in the presence of the Lord. His face once again was shiny and glow, aglow. He came back to the people till the people what God said with the glory on his face. And then when he got done talking to the people, he veiled his face and then he went his way. You know why? It wasn't because it was so bright and shining. It was because he didn't want them to see the glory fade. He didn't want them to see the glory diminish because after a period of time, the glory would diminish. So you know what this is saying to us? The Old Testament was diminishing in glory. The New Testament was bright and shining. The revelation of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is greater glory than the Old Testament. And that's why the Hebrew people today cannot see the glory of the new until they come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, the veil is removed and they see it now. Glory to God. That's what happens to them. And that's why we don't follow all the feast days and all that of the Old Testament. The Old Testament has been fulfilled and done away with. We're under the New Testament. The Pauline revelation that was given to us through Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul so that we could live the life that represents the glory of God. So as we with open face look into the glory of Jesus and you see Jesus in other words, you see him in the word, you see how he lived, how he acted, how he conducted himself, how he forgave people, how he loved people and set a model example for us to follow. You look into that, but once again, you see that in the word like in a mirror and you go, oh man, 
that's what I should be like. And you'll walk away like, ah, man, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to be like that. I need to be like Jesus. And something seems to fall short until you get alone with God and you say, Holy Spirit of God, I'm giving you the liberty to change me from the inside out, from glory to glory, till I look more like him, act more like him, talk more like him. I'm looking into the face of Jesus Christ with the fullness of the, the countenance of the glory of Almighty God. Change me to be like him. How many of you appreciate all these musicians up here? Don't they do a wonderful job? Sure. Someone just came along and got a magic wand and waved it over their heads one day, and boom! Perfect musicians. And all these praisers, same thing, right? No. No, they're dedicated. They're committed. They kept looking at music and studying and practicing and running over scales and all that sort of thing. It was not something that happened overnight. And the same thing is true with us. It doesn't happen overnight. But we keep looking into the word of God and we say, I should look like that. I should act like that. I should be like that. I should talk like that. That's how I should treat people. Even our enemies were told, love them. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for those that spite you and abuse you. And speak well of those that speak evil of you. That you may be fully mature like your Father in heaven is. Do you, do you see in this? We keep looking at that. And yes, we fell. We missed the mark. But thank God for the blood of the Lamb that cleanses us. Now, Holy Ghost, change me. For example, you know Smith Wigglesworth. We talked about him many, many times on many occasions, right? But you see, he had an issue. He had a problem with anger. He was given to anger in such a way that it was not good for his testimony and not good for his witness and not good for his ministry. Recognizing it, guess what he did? He didn't go off somewhere to try to get any kind of physical or natural help. He says, I am walking into my prayer closet and Lord God Almighty, I will not walk out till your spirit meets me in there and changes me from glory to glory. He fasted, he prayed, and he stayed there and said, here I am, change me. I will not have an anger issue. And when he came out, the Holy Ghost fell upon him in that place. And when he came out, never again did he ever have a problem with anger. See, sometimes we're looking for all these remedies. We want changes in attitudes in the way we think. We know we as parents, once again, want our children to think like we do, even though there is that gap between us and we realize that they've got to go through some maybe changes in their own life along the way. But we want to avoid the pitfalls that they, you know, we don't want them to fall into like we did. And we try to push it on them. No, what we need to do is say, look, you need to get alone with God. And then, you know, what we need to do as parents, we get alone with God and just say, God, open up their eyes. Help them to see the truth. Move upon them by your spirit. Change them from glory to glory. Send labors of love around them to speak into their hearts, to speak into their minds. The same thing. What did Peter say about wives and husbands? Husbands, if you're not obeying the word of God, wives, live a godly lifestyle. As you live a godly lifestyle and just, just let them stay with God. Let, let God speak to their heart. Let God speak to their mind. You're not bigger than God and neither am I. But I'll tell you what, God Almighty is God and he will meet them where they're at. So if you're going to make a highway for anybody to move upon that person's life, and same thing with wives, if your wife is not serving the Lord, just turn her over to God and just say, here, here, she's all yours, Lord. She's all yours. 
I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to stand against all the powers of darkness. I'm going to stand against all the forces of evil. I'm presenting her to you. You take care of her. You handle her. I'm going to be alone with you in prayer. Send the fire of your spirit to enter her being and quicken her life. Hallelujah. Oh, there's so much more to say about that. But we've got to get to this other thing. As we look upon God's glory, we're changed into that image from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. But we keep the Word of God before us, looking at ourselves in the mirror of God's Word and saying, that's how I want to be, so change me. So on this Sunday morning, how many of you read Andrew's book so far? Okay. You realize, you know, what I'm sharing with you here today, you realize he's alive today. Because of the faith of God. And so when we talk about the urgency of, of a, let's, let's say of a, a teaching, of a lesson, something to learn, I don't think it gets more serious than that. But, and I'm telling you right now, my wife will not read the book. She absolutely, positively refuses to relive any of that. Nothing to do with it. She's glad that it's out there, that it's blessing other people. But she couldn't stand to read through all of what Andrew went through during that time. But if it were not for what I'm sharing with you today, he would not be sitting here on this front pew. And there's no doubt about that. So, I'm going to talk about developing an attitude of faith. Developing an attitude of faith in our lives. Faith is so important to God. Without faith, you cannot please God. I cannot please God. He was limited by the Israelites because of their unbelief, we are told, which kept them out of the promised land. But as I began to meditate on this, these particular situations rose up within me. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 44 through 47. And this was the faith of a young boy by the name of David who spent much of his time looking into the mirror of the word of God, the Old Testament scriptures, and he developed a personal, intimate walk with the Lord between himself and God, which I believe his parents didn't know, his brothers didn't know, that he even had this kind of a relationship with God. But if you want to succeed, if I want to succeed, if we want to overcome in life all the, the situations that rise up against us, this is what we need to know. This is the story of David and Goliath. I know you know it, but like I said many, many times, you ate yesterday, you're going to eat again today. And, and you never complained about what you ate yesterday, unless it gave you an upset stomach, but because you're going to eat again today, if it's, even if it's the same thing. You get my point. The Philistines said to David, come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with the sword, with the spear, with the shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled, or defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee in my hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thine head from thee, and I will give thy, the carcass of the, to the, of the Philistine this day to the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with the sword or the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Okay. Faith. When it comes to faith, faith is not just having a positive mental attitude. The world will tell us you've got to have a positive mental attitude. 
There may be a degree of truth to that, but not the fullness of truth. Faith has to have an object. Your faith, my faith, is in something or someone or some person, okay? Well, as we rehearse this whole thing, Goliath stood there for 40 days defying the army of the living God. He had a positive mental attitude, and guess what? He had an object for his faith, and that object was himself, his training, his skill, his ability, his size. He believed that because of his skills and all that he possessed, that he would be able to defeat any person in the army of Israel. But David also had a positive mental attitude. But his belief was not in himself. It wasn't in Saul's armor. It wasn't in his size. It wasn't in his education. It wasn't in his wealth. His faith, his belief was in God. And he made that very clear. He said, you trust in a sword. You trust in a shield. You trust in your size. You trust in your strength. You trust in your armor. You trust in your abilities and your development over the years of being a mighty warrior. And you're coming at me from that perspective. And was his attitude positive? You couldn't be more positive than Goliath. But oh, David just rolled up his sleeves and said, well, let me tell you a thing or two. I'm coming at you, and here's the object of my faith, in the name of the Lord of hosts, in the God of Israel, who's bigger than you are, who's stronger than you are, who has greater weapons than what you have. My trust is in him and the power of his name, and this day he will bring you down. Let me ask you a question. Someone wave a wand over his head. To, for he, that's how he got that kind of faith. I want you to see the, they both had an attitude. Didn't they? We need a faith attitude. Walk with a swagger. Not prideful. You understand. But an attitude of faith. An attitude that says my confidence is in a living God. My confidence is in a name above every other name that every other name bows to in the universe. That's where my confidence is. Okay, let's if you, review a few things here. So belief in self. That's faith in humanism. Belief in self is faith in humanism. Think about that. Am I going to believe in myself, my ability, my intellect, my wisdom, my knowledge, my understanding, oh, my strength? I'm believing in myself. I'm believing in myself. The world will say you've got to believe in yourself. Again, there's a degree of truth to that. But if all you're believing is in yourself, you are limited to a finite being who has a lot of room for growth and development. And besides, there will always be someone smarter than you. There will always be someone stronger than you. There will always be somebody faster than you. And the list goes on and on and on. But when you say, my faith is in God, big difference. Number two, we can have belief in circumstances. 
This is faith in providence. You could say it this way. Some say it's lady luck. It's faith in providence. It's faith in lady luck. You know, case sada sada. What will be will be. You just got to trudge through it all. Doesn't matter what happens. It happens for a reason, for a purpose. We're believing in great old mother nature. Whatever she throws our way, brings our way. I guess we just have to sit back and, you know, take it easy and receive it. No, you don't. That's faith in providence, the providence of nature. No. There's someone bigger than nature. Someone greater and more powerful than nature. And if we are deceived by the devil into thinking, case that all, all, what will be, will be, then you know what? You're never going to rise up and overcome. Okay. Then the third thing is, again, and whoa, we got this a lot when I first started teaching here. Faith in having a positive mental attitude or positive thinking. Once again, there's some truth to thinking positive. No question about that. God's a very positive being, wouldn't you say? Right. But this is faith in mind over matter. It's okay to be positive, but when you think it's because I know I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I think I can. Too many eyes in that. It's not about what you can. It's about what he can do in us and through us. And besides, all these belief systems that are out there in the world, they will fail us. But if we don't want to have a faith failure, then your faith, my faith, your belief, my belief has got to be, number four, our belief has got to be in Almighty God, a person. This is faith in a person. This is faith in his power, faith in his integrity, faith in who he is and his ability. And so when you see, he developed this attitude of faith. Why? Because he saw who God was. He saw who God is. He saw what he could do. He saw his power on display and that awesome power. He was able to do what? Tap into for himself. So he says to King Saul, as was, it was with the bear, as it was with the lion, so will it be with the giant Goliath. Because I'm not trusting in any of these things. My belief is not in positive thinking. It's not in circumstances and lady luck. My belief is not in humanism. And the world wants us to think that way. You know, humanism, think about that. They want to teach human. Humanism in our school, you know what that means? Look it up. Humanism means they don't believe beyond the natural into the supernatural. They don't believe in the existence of a living God who is actively involved in every person's life. In other words, how about this one? What a wake-up call. God is in you. The way you think, it's in your mind. Your mind is God. What a sad scenario if my mind is God. Wow. And what about if yours is God? You're a God in yourself? Are you serious? Think about that. Okay, so my faith, your faith should be in a living God. Look in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. So let's talk just a little bit about this God. In this verse of scripture, culminating his prayer, Paul's prayer to the church at Ephesus, he says, now, now unto him, in other words, after all these things I just said, you know the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of God's love that passes knowledge, to be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or what? Or think, according to what? Okay, it's according to my ability. It's according to my intelligence. It's according to my strength. It's according to my skills. It's according to the development that I've had in the natural world that I live in. 
in my resources, in my political powers and influences and all that. How is he able to do for us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? According to his power that is unleashed on the inside of us. You realize resident within each and every one of us is the dunamis miracle working power of the living God that raised him from the dead. It's right there on the inside of us. But yet we bypass all that for this thing that is thoroughly mixed and well set. It's like cement, right? And a jackhammer can't even break through it. See, unless we get to the word of God, unless we get on our knees and on our face before God and just say, Holy Ghost, change me from the inside. It's not going to happen. Okay, so I just give you little, little nuggets here to think about the magnitude of God's greatness. If you traveled 60 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, it'll take you 177 years to get to the sun. I'm talking nonstop. Nonstop. No, no breaks for food, fuel, bathroom breaks, any of that stuff. It would take you 177 years to get to the sun. Okay, smarty pants, we're going to take a spaceship. Really? Okay. At 25,000 miles an hour, to get 93 million miles away will take you a little over five months. Traveling 25,000 miles an hour, which you couldn't survive. Nonstop for any breaks. I know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. How does that show the greatness of God? Oh God, thou art very great. You're clothed with honor and majesty. You're covered with light as a garment. You stretch forth the heavens like a curtain. You lay the beams of your chambers in the waters. You make the cloud your chariot. You walk upon the wings of the wind. You make your angels spirits, your ministers of flaming fire. Hallelujah. You lay the foundations of the earth. They shall not be removed. And set the boundaries of the sea and the water shall not pass over. Who is like unto thee, O Lord? Who is like unto thee? You spoke and the stars were placed in the sky. You spoke and the sun came into its being. You, if you want to get to the sun in a flash you're there praise God but also you have the ability to stop it to turn it to make it go backwards to get the sun down to turn back to shadow to go back you are almighty God and by the way that's only one sun that's only one universe that we live in what about the expanse of God's greatness as he continues to hurl us through the realm of outer space and continues to create and create and create and create he walks on the wings of the wind and we think a spaceship is a big deal Think about that, how great God is. So if we want our faith level to rise up high, we've got to look into the mirror of God's word. We've got to see the magnitude of the greatness of God who can take the whole universe and turn it back. In a heartbeat, make the sun stop for 24 hours. That's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? Uh, but pastor, you don't understand my problem. Wait a minute. You don't understand the remedy. <laughs> okay. That said, look at Daniel chapter 3. Here we have a perfect, another perfect example of faith. Not just was David a man of faith. Now we've got someone else. Some three boys. You know the story. If they don't bow and bend, they're going to burn. Right? If they don't bow their knee, bend to the earth, worship the image, 
they are going to do what? Burn in a burning fiery furnace. So look at the verses, uh, chapter 3 and verse 14, or 17. If, you, if it be so that you throw us in to the burning fire furnace, because what did Nebuchadnezzar say in verse 16? Who's the God that's able to deliver you out of my hand? Who's the God that can deliver you out of a burning fire furnace? Who's the God that's that strong, that's that powerful, that that's mighty, who even cares about you enough to see what you're facing and see what you're going through? Tell me, who is that God that has that kind of ability? Because I'm the king, and when king speaks, well, the word of the king is, there is power. Everybody obeys. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now you're not talking that, saying those words to a pastor. You're not even saying those words to our president. You're saying those words to a king that holds your life in his hands. He is so infuriated by their answer. They knew their God. They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. They knew their God. They answered the question. They said, he is able and he will. So do what you want. We're coming out. Doesn't matter. Okay. Now, were they positive? Were they believing in themselves? Humanism? No. Were they believing in providence? No. No. No, it's just positive thinking, mind over matter? No. Well, what about the king now? Was he positive? He was not only angry, but now he's heated. He's so heated, he says, turn up the furnace. Let me ask you a question. Do you think if it was a thousand degrees, that's enough to burn your body? And if God can deliver you from a thousand degree furnace... It might be more difficult for a 7,000 degree furnace, right? So where was Nebuchadnezzar's faith? In the fire, in the furnace, in the ability of man to make it hotter and more difficult for God to follow through and deliver them. So he throws them in. And they get in there and they're having a youth meeting. He sees a couple of them dancing in the Holy Ghost. And that gets his attention. It burns up all the people on the outside. Oh, I've got to share this with you before I forget. I was reading a commentary on this. And do you know what the commentator said? There are some that explain this miracle away by saying they found a cool spot in the furnace to stand in. A cool spot. Now it burned up the, all the servants that brought them there. They died. But you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They found a cool spot where they stood and it protected them. Oh the mind of man is just ridiculous. It's unbelievable to think that. So there they are having their youth meeting in a burning fiery furnace and they said probably if you pass through the fire I'll be with you remember he said that and the smell of smoke will not come upon you remember that in Isaiah 43 and that exactly is what played out in their lives they went in they came out didn't smell like smoke at all and guess what let's read here further down notice Nebuchadnezzar what he says Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his vicious was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven, one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. 
And then, going down to verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth. And they came hither and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. And the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was any hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed. Nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants. That they trusted in him. And have changed the king's word. Now notice this. And yielded their bodies. That they might not serve nor worship any god except their own God. Therefore, notice this change of attitude, change of thinking, change of heart. Now Nebuchadnezzar sees the mighty power of God, therefore I make a decree, as if, yeah, you're, you're powerful enough to make a decree that, right. That every people, nation, language, which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Short, somebody shout to the Lord, there is no other God. And guess what? He's our Father. He's our Father. There's no God that can deliver like that. Oh my now, when you see the power of God on display, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When you witness the power of God, when you see the power of God, experience the power of God, that changes the way a person's think. Don't tell me God isn't real. Don't tell me God doesn't exist. Andrew's right there. God is real. He exists. And a pulmonary artery is not bigger than the God that, that made him a new one. Praise God. And I, brother, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, humanism, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the living God. I came to demonstrate to you the power of the resurrected Christ that your faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but the power of the living God. Our faith is to be in the power of God. David's faith was in the power of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their faith was in the power of God. Joshua and Caleb had faith in the power of God. And the list goes on and on. Whether it's Moses or whether it's David or whether it's Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Was God able? God was more than able. Now what was our one text? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or our minds can't begin to calculate, can't plumb the depths of the greatness of Almighty God. He's the one that brought down the tons of manna from heaven, 11 million gallons of water out of a rock, that 4,500 tons every single day. He's the one that brought quail to waist high as far as I can see. And we talked about the millions of quail that they, that they brought, that he brought before them. It didn't matter what the situation was, that God was more than enough. And you know what? That's the kind of faith we're to, are, are to develop in the God that we serve. But as long as we sit back and think that, well, that can't happen. That can't be done. What I'm going through is too hard, too difficult and all that. Then you know what? It's not going to get done. Because you're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your ability. 
when, when uh, Jehoshaphat had three armies coming against them, guess what? You know what he said? Something we all should say. I know this, 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 but you know what, Lord? My eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. Be real. Be real to me. You can come here and get fed, but get in your, you get changed in your prayer closet. Change me, Lord. Change me. You know, every single day what I do, I quote the love chapter every single day. I quote it to myself. I quote Psalm 91 every day to myself. I endure long. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm never envious. I'm never bull of jealousy. I'm not boastful or vainglorious. I don't display myself highly. I'm not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride, rude, unmanly, and I just go on through the whole thing. Why? Because I want to be changed to be like that. I want to act like that. You know, I was sincere with God to take those scriptures and put them in my heart and put them in my mind because I don't want to be a bully. I don't want to have a, a bad attitude. I don't want to be full of pride and arrogance. I want to reflect the very image of Christ. I want to honor him. I want to love people as he loved me. Oh my goodness, we're not going to have time to do this last section. I'm not going to read through it. But real quick, I just want to say it to you. Are you like these bones in the valley of bones where your dreams have been crushed? Everything that you long for in life has just been crushed. And it looks like to you from all outward appearances that it's over. The dream is over. You know, people have lost their lives. People have taken their lives because they've lost all hope. Okay? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You want to know the God that we serve? He took Ezekiel into the Valley of Bones where the war took place. And there were skeletons there. There were bones scattered everywhere. They weren't in place. Those bones were dry bones. They were scattered throughout the entire place. And as he looked and he saw the Valley of Bones, all those bones that were there and scattered everywhere, he said to Ezekiel, can those bones live? And Ezekiel, having already experienced God in his power, who was not only knocked down by the Spirit of God, but picked up by the Spirit of God, taken to the realm of the Spirit, and shown spiritual things as a prophet of God, he, asked, he answered wisely. He said, you know. Look, any human being would have faith in an object. I see bones. No. If I look at medical science and there's nothing but bones scattered everywhere, can they come alive again? I hardly think so. Who knows how long they've been there? Trodden over under horses, wind blowing, scattered everywhere. And what about the ashes that constitute each person's body that was housing those bones? What would you say? If I'm going by natural things, there's no way. He says, you know. He said, oh son of man, speak to those bones. Speak to the four corners of the wind. Speak. And he said, I spoke. And when I spoke and said, live, those bones found where the other bones were. And they all came together and they formed the skeleton of the person that died at the hands of the enemy at war. 
And when they came together, he spoke again and called for the four corners of the wind. And the wind began to blow and all the ashes began to rise up in the air. And they went and found each skeleton that they belonged to. And each one went to the right skeleton. Can you imagine walking? Well, no, that's not you. No, no, not you. No, no, I'm, I'm over here. Let's get over here. Not you. You get over there. <laughs> you know, you're over here. And finally, they finally made their way and they found the right skeleton. And then, praise God, he said now, he breathed into them the breath of life like in the beginning and they all rose up and they all were made whole. And they all became alive again. We're so limited in our thinking because of natural things that this can't possibly happen. That we limit God because we don't see the greatness and the magnitude of the ability of our God. But you know what? That power is in you. That power is in me. It's alive in every single one of us. Our faith is not to be in ourselves, our wisdom, our money, our whatever, our influence. Our faith is to be in the resurrected Christ and the living God who raised him from the dead. Let's all stand together before the Lord to develop an attitude of faith that says praise God I can run through a troop I can leap over a wall by my God hallelujah he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise he can resurrect anybody's dream any desire but as long as you're out there trusting in yourself trusting in the economy and trust me trusting in political powers forget about it it's not going to happen. But when you say, oh my God, my eyes are on you. My will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence come up my help. My help comes from the one that made heaven, earth, sea, all that in them is. Hallelujah. That's where my faith is at. My trust is in you. Praise God. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school. If you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.